All right, so if you've been uh, with us for the last few weeks, I've been talking about biblical finances. We've been talking about kingdom prosperity, and I will uh, just preface this. If you think that it's to get a bigger offering, then don't give. Don't give here. Give it to somewhere. Give it somewhere else. Um, it, it is not to get a bigger offering. What, what the challenge with, with believers in this day and age is, is that many of us have to ask m- money for permission to follow God's will. If God was to say something that's pretty radical right now, many of us would have to ask our bank account or check our bank account to see if we could actually obey God. Is that right? And so what that means is that there is something that needs to shift in the church because we're, we're, we're not meant to live like this where we have to ask other things for permission to obey God. But rather when the Lord speaks to have the resources and the heart and the means to make it happen. This is what it means to live in kingdom prosperity. And so last week we talked about having the right foundation, having the right heart conditions, understanding that God is the owner of it all. He owns the, uh, the a thousand cattle and the, you know, cattle on the thousand hills. He owns it all that, that the very breath that we take in to give him worship, he gave it to us. Everything that he gives us is a gift. And so there's power in understanding that God is owning all, God owns all of this and we are just simply managing the gifts that he gives us we are simply stewarding the gifts that he gives us and so we talked about uh having a right foundation for kingdom prosperity i want to talk this morning a little bit about the heart of a steward we've talked about the need to steward things and if you uh again if you're just visiting as a recap to steward something doesn't mean to maintain it it doesn't mean to to have it the same it doesn't just mean to kind of coast through life at living at the same level the same level of breakthrough but it actually means what does it look like to to bring every area of your life into increase, including your finances? What does it look like to bring it into a place where it is increasing perpetually? Every stage of life, it's increasing. Every stage of life, not only are you increasing in wealth, but you're increasing in wisdom. You're increasing in joy. You're increasing in hope. You're increasing in every area of your life. This is what it means to be a steward, and we're called to be kingdom stewards. This is what we're called to. This is how uh, many believers are living their financial lives. They think that, uh, that if we just do something, that God's just going to end up blessing us. And so that's why it's so easy for pastors and, and preachers and evangelists to come in and do an offering and, and talk about sowing and reaping, that if you have a need, sow a seed. Many of us have probably heard it. You've probably uh, flipped past TBN and saw the televangelists on there. I'm not saying that they're all bad, but uh, many of them have this message. If you have a need, sow a seed. And it, it, it's, it's, it's not a correct thinking. It's not an, a right understanding. And we're going to get into this. Um, we want to carry the blessings of God in our house. We want to see the increase, but we haven't given God anything to attach a blessing to. God attaches blessing to our faith. And if we do not have faith in this area, it will be challenging for God to attach blessings to it. If you feel like this financial situation, oh, my parents have always been broke, so I'm just going to be broke. No, generally speaking, if your parents lived a life of poverty, you probably learned money management from them, and it's just a, a shift of your thinking and a shift of your understanding, and you've lived your life holding on to things rather than opening up your hands and saying, God, you own it. What do I do with it? It's a mindset shift. 
So this series that we're doing is going to act like a, ser- uh, like a building blocks. And, and the thing is, is that we cannot jump just to the end and expect things to work out if we haven't laid the foundation. If we haven't laid the heart conditions, if we haven't settled the issue of mammon in our heart. Many Christians, we've become angry with God or with the Bible because of this whole idea, as I mentioned, of sowing and reaping. When we we haven't established these building blocks, these right heart conditions, and so we're looking at sowing and reaping through a wrong lens because it's been taught in a negative way. It probably looks like something, you know, something like this. Many of us here have a need for more finances. Anybody need more finances? If you have a need for more finances, we bring out scripture. We talk about how lack and poverty is not God's will. We teach on biblical, the biblical principle of sowing and reaping. And the way that we get our needs met is we sow a seed. And if we sow a seed in the offering, then God is automatically going to give us a 30, 60, or 100-fold return. Anybody heard this before? What's wrong with this? It's true that poverty and lack are not God's will. God did not, does, is not up in heaven uh, glad that we are in poverty and lack. God is not up in heaven um, glad that you are just pinching pennies together and just making, it, making ends meet. God wants to multiply. He wants to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we could ask or think. But we have to have the right heart about it. He wants to provide for his people. He is a good father who delights in providing abundantly for his children. What parent doesn't love to buy their children good things? That's how he feels about us even more. So the biblical principle of sowing and reaping does indeed apply to, apply to money. And we're going to get into this uh, in later weeks, but we're going to talk about sowing and reaping, but only after we have the right heart about it. God does want to multiply a financial seed multifold. So what's the problem? The problem is this, is that it, um, when we have it in a wrong heart, when we understand uh, sowing and reaping in a wrong heart and a wrong, wrong mindset, the problem is it reverses the relationship with God. We become the master and he becomes our servant. Money becomes our goal. And so we sow a seed to get the goal. Rather than understanding that Jesus is the goal. He is the prize and he owns it all. You, you don't have enough money. We are going to use God and go, use God's principles to get more money. When you have money, then we'll be okay. This is, this is what a wrong view of sowing and reaping has done. God is not the servant to get us more money. He is the prize. He is the goal. Money becomes our servant to expand the kingdom of God. God is your master and he is the owner of everything. You are his steward called to manage his money under his direction. We've heard it taught so many times, if you're experiencing financial lack, the way to get your needs met is by financially sowing and reaping. This is wrong. Jesus actually taught against sowing and reaping to get your needs met. He says this in in Matthew 6, 26, if you want to make reference. He says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than them? Your provision is not dependent on your works. It's not dependent on your works. The birds are cared for uh, simply because God values them. And how much more does he value you? How much more does he see you? 
God makes this point that you are of much greater value than the birds. Without this foundation that we laid last week and, and what we're doing this week of simple trust in God, living in, 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 in just the heart of the Father, a basic trust that God will provide for my needs because he loves me. He knows your needs. He knows that the basic needs that you have, and God will provide it. This is what Matthew 6.26 is saying. You don't have to sow and to reap your basic needs. He says, I'll provide that because I'm good. I'll provide that because of who I am. I'll provide that because I love you. The rest uh, of the teachings on finances get, get so twisted. They get so messed up. And I know Pastor Jim has hit on this a lot. And I, I've learned so much from him. So are we saying that financial sowing and reaping with an expectation of a return is wrong? No, it's not wrong at all. It's not wrong at all. Sowing and reaping is a correct biblical term, but it is not used to get your needs met. The way it is usually taught, it nullifies the grace and the goodness of God, and it makes the meeting of our needs dependent on our works and not God's love. That our, our needs will not get met unless we put something in a bucket. Rather than our needs will get met because he's a good father. So the, the foundation, what we, we talked about last week is, is who do you trust? Who do you trust? Do you trust God? Do you trust him with your, your whole life? When you said yes to him at salvation, he, you said, God, I trust you with my whole life. The gospel in two words is trust Jesus. And so we trust him with our life, but do we trust him with our whole life? Do we trust him with our money? Do we trust him with our finances? The absolute trust and confidence and leaning of your entire personality and person upon the fact that God loves me and he will provide for me. He loves me and he will provide for me. You have to understand that he is our source. Our job just becomes our resource. And our resources may change, but he never changes. That's why, you know, when the Bible says that uh, when everything that is, is shaken, is, everything that can be shaken is being shaken, so that he who is unshakable remains. He's the source. That means when everything's shaking, including your financial situation, all of the money into your life is just a resource. Your source does not change. Your source doesn't change. This is the foundation for, uh, for biblical uh, finances and kingdom prosperity that God entrusts things and his wealth to those servants who genuinely and ac accurately, and they are, uh, excuse me, genuinely and acutely aware that they own nothing. The Bible calls this a steward, as we've talked about in previous weeks. Uh, to be a steward is to understand that we do not own it. God owns it. A steward in the New Testament times was a manager of a household or an estate. They were never owners of the property that they managed. Several of Jesus' parables are about stewards, and we, uh, we looked at one last week of, of the parable of the talents. In each parable, the owner or the master represents God and Christ, and the steward, the servant, or the slave represents us. 
there are some who may react to this truth because we don't see ourselves as servants or slaves to the Lord. But uh, there's a, we, you know, we would say, oh, well, I'm a son or I'm a daughter. And there is an absolute truth to that. There's a partial truth. It's partially true and it's partially false. Our sonship does not get, negate the truth that we are still called to serve him. Our sonship doesn't negate the truth that we are still called to serve him. Paul himself, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, said, I am a bondservant of Jesus. A bondservant. A bondservant is someone who voluntarily sold themselves into slavery for the, the work of, for the will of somebody else. I'm a bondservant of Jesus. This is our lives, and it doesn't negate the fact that we are still sons and daughters. So the foundation of, of kingdom prosperity is understanding what we've been talking about, that God owns it all, and I'm just his steward. We are stewards of what he has given us. We will see in the next, in the next few weeks over this series that uh, a faithful and tested steward will see ongoing financial and supernatural increase and unusual intervention by God in their finances. Unusual intervention. We've already started to see some things happen. There's already been some testimonies that God's doing something. This is going to be radical, but I believe God will witness the truth of stewardship so strongly in our hearts that when we have the right heart and the right understanding about uh, the finances and our money, that the Lord will pour blessings and increase on it. Matthew 13, verse 44, it says this, The kingdom is like a treasure that a man discovered in a hidden field. In his excitement, he hid it again and he sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and he bought it. Jesus uses these two pictures and these two parables to describe the condition of the heart of a person that has chosen a kingdom, um, life in the kingdom with Jesus. The believer, we discover something of value and we sell all to obtain it. This is what worship looks like. This is what reckless abandon looks like. When we see the one that we love and then everything else becomes pale in comparison. When you look into the eyes that blaze like fire, nothing else begins to matter as much. So Jesus uses these two pictures, and they, they, the, the men and, and the merchants in these pictures, the businessmen in these pictures, they represent uh, believers, and they sense this opportunity of a lifetime that they don't want to miss out on. Do you think that they were questioning the cost? Does there any, is there anything in these, these two passages, these two verses, that point to them questioning the cost? They were not questioning the cost. They were only looking at the opportunity. They were looking at the opportunity. It's like, it's like finding out that this piece of property just down the road, this is hypothetical. Y'all are getting excited. This piece of property down the road, let's say it's about 10 acres, is for sale for 100 grand. But you just found out that there is a, an oil well on this piece of property that's worth $100 million. You're not worried about the cost. Suddenly the cost becomes pale in comparison to the value. 
When we look at the value of who Jesus is and what he's done for our lives, something shifts in our heart and we don't see the cost because the cost, even the resources to pay the payment come from him. There's so much uh, misunderstanding about you know, serving God and, and, and giving up everything. No disciple is complaining about the cost because we understand the opportunity. There's this stupid teaching out there that if you give your life over completely to God, it's going to be miserable. It's going to be filled with laws. It's going to be filled with rules that you can't do this. You, you know, don't smoke, don't chew, don't run around with those who do. There's all these kinds of things. And there's so much misunderstanding um, around Jesus saying this, but there's, there's some verses that where he does say some strong things. In Luke 14, verse 26, it says, If you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. How many of you know that's strong language? If you do not carry out your own cross and follow me, you cannot be your disciple. Again, strong language. So you cannot be my disciple without giving up everything you own. Strong language, right? The entire point of this passage is that as long as we think anything may be more valuable than our fellowship and communion with Jesus, we cannot learn from him. We can't be his disciple. If we don't see the value of knowing and following Jesus, that, that we would give up all of our possessions, we'll never get the basic points about the kingdom of, of, of heaven. We'll never get these, these true understandings. When Jesus asks us to do this, he, he, he wants us to, to follow him, to give up everything. He says, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. He shifts the focus off of ourselves onto what we can give. If we can't own, uh, recognize that God owns everything, including our money, we can't really learn from Jesus about life and his kingdom and about prosperity. It's like saying that you'll, you can read Shakespeare without knowing the alphabet. The foundation of, of kingdom prosperity is God owns everything and I'm a steward. So giving just 10% out of habit is not what Jesus is after. Giving 10%, mindlessly writing a check week after week, is not what God's after. We must become obedient stewards. We must renounce ownership of all wealth and all of our possessions and understand that if God says you know, to give all, sell all, at any given moment, that that is something we would be willing to do. He says this, so you cannot be my disciple without giving up everything you own. Verse 34, it says this, salt is good for seasoning, but if it loses its flavor, how will it make it salty again? Salty is not what you think. It's not that kind of salty. Flavorless salt is neither good for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown away. Anyone who hears uh, has ears to hear, should listen and understand. Without this kind of commitment that God is asking from us, uh, everything else is useless and shallow. We will become salt without taste and be useful for nothing unless we get this, unless we understand this. There's a problem when, as servants, we begin to act like owners. God is the owner and I'm his money manager. 
I'm his servant. Becoming a steward is the foundation for kingdom prosperity. You know, there's, there's uh, something about impulsive, you know, behaviors. Anybody uh, know what I'm talking about? Like, you just see something and I, I got to have it. Am, am I the only one that, am I the, am I the only one? I see something completely useless. I probably wear it one time and all of a sudden I need it. Impulsive stewards. But before we feel motivated, you know, to, uh, to buy that thing or, you know, it, it could be in, a, in a, a well-meaning way. We could be impulsive to give everything away. We could be impulsive to, to sow what God's not asking us to sow. I remember being in a um, being in a service one time, and there was a, a, a somebody who was praying because they they only had like a day or two left, and they were not able to make their rent, and they were praying that God would provide. And someone walks up and hands them an envelope. God told them to give uh, this person an envelope of cash, and they open up; it's exactly the amount they, they they need for rent. They get filled with so much faith, they turn around and they give it away to somebody else. And then they get evicted. There's, there's an impulsiveness in not acting out of our emotions and not giving out of our emotions, but also not, not buying things out of our emotions, but actually having a right understanding that, that this is God's money. This is God's money. This, and so the owner alone has the right to tell us to give it all away if he wants to. In other words, a steward that gives everything away better be absolutely sure that he is able to do it being in obedience to the command of the owner and for no other reason. We're not doing it to show. We're not doing it to uh, gain favor with man. We're not doing it for any other reason other than this is what God has said. We're not doing it to, to post a video on Facebook and say, look what we did. We're doing it because God has said. And God always rewards obedience. He does not reward stupidity. Christians who foolishly give away everything without God's commands are bad stewards. We will have less to take care of and we won't get a promotion from God if you just give everything, everything that comes in if you give it away. When we teach on giving, which we will do but not anytime soon, uh, we'll give some guidelines to ensure that it is Christ that is commanding and, and we are being obedient to him. We're not being foolish or being moved by our emotions or being impulsive, but we actually learn to hear from the Lord and act in obedience. That's when the fruit comes on your giving. So for now, when, when you give patience, reflection, prayer, asking the Holy Spirit, studying the scriptures, um, and, and seeking God for what you would do. I'm going to read um, for just a, a, a couple minutes more here out of Matthew 19 about the rich young ruler. This is a story of a rich young ruler in, in Matthew 19. And uh, this man approaches Jesus and he wants to become a follower. He wants to become a follower of Jesus. And we'll see that Christ commands uh, this, uh, uh, Jesus' commands to this man regarding money are very similar to his other commands to the disciples. So um, in Matthew 19, verse 16, it says, And behold, a man came up with him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must must I do to have eternal life? What good deed must I do to have eternal life? There's the first problem. 
He says this, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, if you would enter life, keep the commandments. This guy wants to know how, how to obtain and possess eternal life by performance. But Jesus shifts his focus from obtaining eternal life to entering into true life. Entering into life right now. The abundant eternal life is something that, we can, be, that can be received through relationship. And so, uh, you know, Jesus says, keep the commandments. And, and the rich young ruler says, which ones? Which ones? Which ones do I have to keep? Jesus replied, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, honor your fathers and mothers, love your neighbor as yourself. How many of you know that's not all ten commandments? Jesus focuses on the rich young ruler and only six out of the ten commandments. These are the six commandments that deal with our relationship to man. The other four commandments deal with our relationship to God. Jesus does not mention these four commandments for a reason, and this is important. As any educated Jew at the time, they would have known, you know, the rich young ruler would have been keenly aware that Jesus left out four commandments dealing with God. Christ is again focusing the young man on his relationship with God. Verse 20, he says, I've, I've obeyed all these commandments. The young ruler says, what else must I do? When the rich young ruler asked the third question, he would anticipate that the answer would have something to do with his relationship with God and the four commandments that Jesus purposefully left out. And Jesus, uh, Jesus could have quoted the other four commandments to him. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make graven image. You shall not take the name of the Lord in vain and remember the Sabbath day. These commandments had to be in his mind. But Jesus boils it, it down for him and reveals his secret gods, those that violate the spirit of the commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Jesus told him, if you want to be complete, go and sell all of your possessions and give your money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Sell all your possessions. Take the money you got from selling everything and give it to the poor and then follow Christ. Jesus could have just told him to give everything away, but it would have been, that would have been a lot quicker and a lot less painful. But Jesus gave him a process that would require him to die each time he sells something for the sake of his relationship with God. Every time he makes a transaction, Every time he sells something, it's for the sake of his relationship. Every sale and giving away would liberate him from the spirit of mammon and the love of money. You see, mammon had become his God. He would then be free uh, to, uh, to be able to become uh, Jesus' disciple and wholeheartedly follow Jesus without hindrance. The rich young ruler would become a true servant and a steward if, uh, of Jesus if he sells all. Verse 22, but when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had many possessions. He was unable to embrace true kingdom stewardship, to trust everything to God and, and uh, Jesus and recognize that he is the owner of it all and I'm just his steward. He would continue to trust in wealth for security and for his meaning of life. Just a few verses down, verse 27, Peter says uh, this, uh, then Peter says to him, we've given up everything to follow you, what will we get? 
Typical Christian. Peter sees that the rich young ruler was, was going to have to leave everything behind to follow Jesus. And he's like, bro, we already did that. We already did that. We already trusted our financial futures and all that means to our families. We've already trusted in Jesus. What does that mean for us now? I want you to stop and let that hit you for a second. The disciples had already passed the test. They've already passed this test. This is the norm for every follower of Jesus. Leave all, sell all, give all. This is the only response that makes sense when you see the pearl of great price and the treasure in the field. If you don't see Jesus as more valuable than those things, you aren't going to be able to learn anything from Jesus. Verse 28, Jesus says this. Jesus replied to Peter, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon his glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. In other words, Jesus is saying that disciples will not experience the full impact of the rewards of following Jesus until the age to come. In that age, they will have an important position and function because they left everything in this age to follow him. But then Jesus makes an additional promise that can uh, apply to all believers who meets its conditions. Verse 29, he says this, And to everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. What had the disciples left? They had left houses and brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers and children and properties. They left behind the resources of the family and property. They had passed the test of stewardship when they wholeheartedly followed Jesus and left behind their livelihoods and resources. Jesus was seeking no less from the rich young ruler. But Christ uses the word everyone and makes it a universal promise to the believer. Verse 29, and everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers, children or property, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. The conditions of the promise are actually giving something up, not just being willing to. When the owner tells you to do something, you obey. Just in case you think that it is just a promise uh, for heaven, we have to look at Mark chapter 10. It says this, Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one left, uh, no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or mothers or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel's sake who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, lands with persecutions in the age to come eternal life. Someone who follows Jesus will receive a hundred times as much as they left. They will receive it now along with persecutions, the Bible does say. But quoting this verse and claiming a hundredfold multiplication of financial giving is taking this verse out of context. And a lot of uh, pastors and preachers and evangelists do this. They take it out of context. Giving does not fulfill the conditions of this promise. Sowing in, in an offering does not fulfill the conditions of this promise. Only leaving all for the right reasons fulfills the conditions. The steward is the one who recognizes God owns it all, and I, I just manage. Our stewardship is proven by our willingness to sell all, give all, and leave all at the commandment of Jesus. 
A true steward will pass the test and discover that true owner, uh, discover the true owner, Jesus, will supernaturally promote them by giving them more than, than uh, more to take care of. Now there is a safeguard in this to to understand and, and recognize that um, some may try to abuse this message and this rich rich young ruler message uh, for their own financial benefit. Jesus did not tell the rich young ruler or the disciples to give to his ministry. He did not tell them to give all, leave all, sell all to him. They had to leave all to follow him. The disciples did not have to give Jesus their wealth as part of following him. Jesus was a steward, and he had more than enough. And we'll talk about the prosperity of Jesus at another time. So this is, it's important to understand that this is not used to manipulate. It's used to understand and reveal conditions of our heart. So how do we know that we're acting like a true steward? This is the heart of a steward. This is our inner attitudes, that I don't have to focus on money as the source of my provision. I am now free to focus on God who loves me and who delights in giving me good things. I realize that I that I have received uh, as a gift from God. Everything I have is a gift from God that I've received. And I'm merely a steward of that which God has entrusted to me. My needs are met by God and not by my efforts. I have no need to worry over money because all I have available to me is a gift from my heavenly Father who loves me. This sets my heart free from fear and anxiety. My possessions are cared for by God. When I recognize that all I have is a gift from God, then now I can allow him to retain possession and I merely manage his resources. So if something is stolen or damaged, I can know that if God wants me to continue to have this item, he can replace it. I can be free from anxiety over losing and caring for possessions. There's a story about John Wesley and and, um, he had kind of a tragedy that happened. Uh, His house burnt down. And uh, the story goes like this, that when someone came to him and said, Mr. Wesley, something terrible has happened. Your house has burned to the ground. This was his response. He weighs the news and then he calmly replies, no, the Lord's house has burnt to the ground. That means one less responsibility for me. My possessions are available to be used by others because I own nothing and I am the manager of God's resources. I can make possessions available to others as the Lord directs without fear of loss or damage. As a good steward, I will instruct people on the proper use of an item uh, so that they will care for it and be a good steward also. A true steward is focused on his master's business. If you talk to someone and the conversation automatically goes to fear, it goes to anxiety, it goes to worry over finances, they are preoccupied with something else. They are bowing down and worshiping the God of mammon, not Jesus. So I want to just kind of close with this illustration, and uh, I I stole this from Pastor Jim. Um, A a eunuch in the ancient times was a man that had been castrated, and he had no sexual desire. So just bear with me for a second if you're like, where in the world is this going? (laughs) Somebody said, bring it. The role of the eunuch eunuch was to primarily serve with the king's harem. 
the harem was comprised of the most beautiful women in all of the land, and they were dedicated specifically to the king. What would happen if a man touched one of the, wom- uh, the women in the king's harem for himself or for physical pleasure? He would lose his life. His life would be over. These women were dedicated to the king alone and not to be touched by anyone else. To ensure that would never happen, only eunuchs were allowed to serve in the king's harem. The primary role of the eunuch was to work and prepare the bride for her king. He had no desire to take the bride for himself. He had been totally stripped of that desire. Uh, Jim talks about becoming a financial eunuch. A financial eunuch is someone whose primary role is to handle finances for the king. You would never touch this resource for self. And the desire has already been dealt with by establishing that we trust in God and that he's the owner and we're just managing what he has. A financial eunuch uh, comes to the Lord applying for the job of managing and handling uh, handling accounts on behalf of the Lord for the purpose of expanding the kingdom. That's what we are. We're managing God's resources to expand his kingdom. If you can't handle a small amount on behalf of the Lord, we will never be able to handle a large amount. We'll never be trusted as a steward with great wealth for the kingdom uh, because we, we don't see it as God's. And so this is the, the main portion that I want to get across this morning is that, that we are building a, a foundation and the heart of a steward understands these truths, understands these truths that, that God truly does own everything. I know we've hit this uh, from a couple of different ways for the last few weeks, but this is really important to understand because if you feel like that it's all yours, it's all on you to manage it, it's all on you to, to, to get more money, to you know, try to earn more, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't aspire to earn more money, but not for money's sake, for, for being effective, for taking territory for Jesus because our dollars become soldiers to accomplish the will of God. And the goal of the heart of a steward is to never ask money for permission to follow God. That's what kingdom prosperity looks like. And kingdom prosperity is released to those who steward what God has given them. Now this, you know, this leave all, sell all, give all, that, you know, it, it, uh, it could raise questions about prosperity and are we supposed to be prosperous? And we're going to get into that in, in, in future weeks. But yes, God wants you to be prosperous. God doesn't want you to have uh, you know, uh, clothes that are completely worn out and shoes that are busting through the toes. And you know, God wants you to have nice things. He wants you to be prosperous. And you know, we're going to talk about what that looks like and how much is, is too much and all of that. But uh, the reality of the matter is, is we have to stay connected to the Holy Spirit. We have to stay connected to Him. And don't be moved by, by our emotions. Don't be moved by man. Don't be moved by uh, what a, a pastor or a, a, an evangelist is doing to twist Scripture, but actually see the Word of God for what it says. Actually see that God does want us to prosper. But we have to realize that he owns everything first. Amen? Would you guys stand with me? How many of you just would say that you're starting to feel just a heart shift towards finances, just towards money?
How many of you would say that you had no hope, but you're starting to get a little bit of slither of hope? There's a slither of hope. Okay, there's only like five people with a slither of hope. Looks like we got some more work to do. No, but I believe that the Lord wants you to have a joyful anticipation about the future and about your finances. It should not be a worry, a stress, a pain point, and yet it's one of the leading causes of divorce. It's one of the leading causes of, of, fam- of, of families to break down because there's a lack of, of money and, and, it, and the blame gets thrown around and we don't actually trust that God can provide for us. And we try to do everything on our own. We end up having to ask as Christians who are filled with the Spirit of God, who have the gifts of the Spirit, who can lay their hands on the sick and see them made well, but yet God says something and you have to ask money for permission. It should not be so. God's after whole disciples, not just part, part disciple, not just ex- excelling in one area and then, you know, just pushing this other area to the back. But actually, what would it look like for every area of your life to thrive because Jesus is in it? He's in the middle of it. That's the goal of this series. That's the goal of what I believe the outcome of what God wants to do in this is that we actually begin to see our finances thrive because we have a right understanding of who he is and we begin to steward properly uh, because we understand that it's his anyways. Amen? So Father, I just pray. I pray over every person here, Lord. I pray that you would continue to check our hearts on this topic. I pray, Father, that if anybody has any questions about what I've said, Lord, that you would speak to them, that you would encourage them to dig deep into Scripture, to find out what your word says about this, that you spoke more about money than faith, hope, and love combined because the issue uh, needs to be settled in our hearts so that we can move on, so that we can move to to greater things. Jesus calls uh, managing money uh, the least of these handling the little things so that you can handle the great things. And so I pray over every single person, Lord, uh, that you you would give us wisdom and strategy, that you would show us how to live our lives, that you would show us how to become a a well-rounded disciple and to bring you in the middle of our finances and to begin to see breakthrough happen. You know, I just got this picture of uh, many people feel like they're in a financial pit and the Lord getting, him, getting down in your pit and helping you walk out of it. Like no matter what situation you're in, there's grace, there's forgiveness. The past is the past, but now you have to make a decision. Now you have to make a decision. You're, you're either going to continue to live in the pit or you're going to choose to live differently. You're going to change the way that you think. That's what repent means, to change the way that you think. And we have to look at this thing differently. So, Father, I pray for a mindset shift, a mindset shift in Jesus' name. I pray that there would be a joyful hope over every bank account. I pray, Lord, that we would have faith that you could do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. So we bless, we bless, we bless, Lord. Every person here, we pray that, uh, Holy Spirit, you would speak to us this week about our finances and how we could bring it into increase. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said amen. Amen.